We know you have lots of questions. If you think that you've developed symptoms. Should I avoid large public gatherings? Whether schools should be closed. Welcome to Common Sense. Here we address your questions about COVID-19 with interviews featuring experts in medicine and leaders in community, public, and global health. Here's your host, Dr. Ted O'Connell. Welcome to our podcast, COVID-19, Common Sense Conversations on the Coronavirus Pandemic. I'm your host, Dr. Ted O'Connell. I just want to remind our audience that this is a rapidly evolving field. So what we're talking about today may change by the time you listen to this podcast. My guest today is Dr. Jay Lee, who is Chief Medical Officer at Share Ourselves, a nationally recognized health center serving the vulnerable and disadvantaged in Orange County, California, and giving voice to the needs of the poor by advocating for change in the structures and systems unjustly affecting the lives of our patients and communities. A graduate of the program in human biology at Stanford University, he worked for a non-governmental organization in post-war rural northern El Salvador, supporting local physicians and organizing public health projects before returning stateside for medical school at the University of Southern California and family medicine residency training at Long Beach Memorial Medical Center. Dr. Lee then worked at community health centers in Southern California and Boston, where he earned his master's of public health at Harvard University with an emphasis in health policy and management. Dr. Lee is board certified in family medicine and remains active in physician leadership, currently serving as chair of California's Family Physicians Political Action Committee and is one of our state chapter's alternate delegates to the American Academy of Family Physicians Congress. Dr. Lee has also served as a past president of the California Academy of Family Physicians and was a co-founder of the Family Medicine Revolution hashtag, hashtag FMR revolution, a grassroots social media movement giving the power of telling family medicine story back to family physicians and building a global community of thought leaders. In 2018, Dr. Lee was named a California Academy of Family Physicians Hero of Family Medicine. Jay, I want to thank you for joining me on the podcast. Is there anything else you'd like to tell our audience about yourself? Yeah, it's an honor to be here, Ted. Really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and with your audience. Uh, The only other thing that I would add is that I'm a father um, and a husband, um, married to a local pediatrician uh, here in Orange County, and we have three kids, uh, 12, 10, and 7 years old. Well, I appreciate you taking the time out of your Sunday evening to join us with uh, busy clinical practice and all of the COVID-19 changes that are affecting us. I know you're in a brand new job and have been there only about a month or so, um, which is a really tough time, I would say, or perhaps opportunistic time to be starting a a new job. Can you tell us about the work that you're doing with Share Ourselves? Yeah, for sure. I'll uh, start by telling you a bit about the organization and then maybe a little bit about my entry. Uh, So Share Ourselves, it's a federally qualified health center. Uh, We are celebrating our 50th anniversary this year. Uh, The organization started as a social social services agency, primarily um, helping um, children in school who needed school supplies and also a food pantry that's uh, actually been long in service. Uh, Really, in the last 25 years was when medical was brought in, uh, as well as dental and behavioral health. And 
As uh, many of your listeners may know, Orange County is the sixth largest county in the United States. And what's fascinating is I think people have a certain impression of what Orange County is. And the truth is, it's a, it's just like the rest of the country. It's very diverse. And there are pockets, uh, large pockets of population of folks who uh, are in great need, uh, both from a social, medical and financial perspective, well below the poverty line. And uh, certainly we haven't been spared from, uh, you know, the scourge of homelessness. And there is quite a few people who are homeless, and, and we're certainly working to uh, serve those folks as well. It sounds like you're doing really outstanding work for the community and for those who are particularly vulnerable and, and even more vulnerable in the face of this um, pandemic. On another episode of this podcast, I talked a bit with the guest about how this pandemic is affecting the working poor and children who rely on school meal programs. Can you give us your thoughts about how the COVID-19 pandemic is disproportionately affecting the vulnerable and disadvantaged with whom you work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what's interesting is, um, you know, you had uh, noted earlier that I'm only a few weeks into my new job and I walked into my uh, office at eight o'clock, first day of work. And at 8.03, uh, the CEO, uh, Christy Ward, says to me, hey, Jay, uh, welcome to the job. Uh, COVID-19, let's talk about it. And um, I think one of the uh, sort of fo focuses for us uh, as things started to go from the speed of um, I would say email to the speed of text to now kind of light speed changes day to day was really focused on uh, not only the medical aspects of uh, COVID, but also on the social impacts, particularly these downstream financial impacts on uh, folks such as the working poor and children. So uh, I'll give you an example of something that we've been doing. I mentioned the food pantry earlier. Uh, you know, we're averaging over 200 prepackaged food bags a day uh, for families in need. Um, our usual workflow is actually to, um, you know, take requests on what people may want. And obviously, there's some degree of intake and sort of social interaction in that. Um, and unfortunately, because of the pandemic, we've needed to push operations out so that it's more like a drive-through format, both to um, ensure efficiency of delivery of food packages, but also really to kind of, uh, you know, protect our staff. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of our volunteers who have a heart for this um, have not been able to come because they are over, many of them are over the age of 65 and or have um, uh, chronic medical conditions. Uh, so for their safety, we've asked them to stay at home as well um, and to, to be at home so that we can help flatten the curve. Yeah, you mentioned to me, um, Jay, before we started recording this episode, that you walked in on day one and were kind of faced with this, you know, brand new um, world pandemic and hadn't even finished, you still to date haven't finished your onboarding paperwork and your benefits paperwork. And I think it says a lot about who you are as a person as a, and as a physician and as a leader that you put that aside and, and jumped into the work that needed to be done. I'd love to hear your thoughts on um, what do we as a society need to be thinking about doing to help support those who are struggling during these very difficult times? Yeah, so I think there's a few things um, that uh, this pandemic is uh, on. Um, you know, there, clearly we're not yet at a point where we have universal health and access to health care, you know, especially primary care and behavioral health is an ongoing issue and we we need to work to try to expand. Two is uh, really around access uh, to social services. And, you know, if anything, especially small businesses and especially the working poor, uh, we're seeing 
some big hits uh, being taken. Uh, you know, for example, restaurants. There's a restaurant in, in Orange County here that's been serving the community for 50 years. And they just announced yesterday that they're closing their doors permanently. And so, uh, you know, working on these downstream, uh, really, they actually, they're kind of upstream, to tell you the truth, uh, you know, financial, uh, food assistance, housing assistance, um, you know, especially in California, a real, real tough issue. And I, I have a feeling we're going to see the number of uh, poor and the number of uh, people in insecure housing and the number of people with food insecurity uh, increase as this goes longer and longer. Right. Then I think the third thing is really around the remarkable kindness and, and sense, of, sense of community that um, I've seen from everyone. It's unprecedented, just the sheer number of people who are, in fact, physical distancing um, and I would say showing social solidarity. Yeah, Jay, you bring up this idea of sense of community. And in the first one of these uh, episodes that we recorded, I asked our guest, this was before the restaurants that started closing down or at least closing to anything but takeout to give a shout out to a local restaurant or two that he really liked just with the idea of supporting small businesses who are struggling. It's a very narrow margin business. There's a lot of working poor who work in restaurants and I wanted to give him a chance to kind of shout out in his own community. Um, now we are in a situation where restaurants are doing essentially takeout only if they're doing anything at all. So Jay, in your own community, are there any restaurants that you really love that you want to give a little shout out to that with the idea that anybody listening to this podcast in, in your area might want to go and think about doing takeout this week and, and helping to support those local businesses? Yeah, for sure. Uh, there's a, a tried and true uh, restaurant that my family has enjoyed for uh, years, and it's called uh, Olive Pit. And it's a Mediterranean uh, restaurant. Uh, and I, in fact, took takeout on the very Friday that they um, announced that the schools were going to be closing for a couple of weeks uh, with the specific intent to support them. And so, um, you know, they've... I, they have been a steady source of um, nutrition and uh, yummy food for, for uh, you know, almost the 12 years, 12, almost 13 years that I've lived here in Huntington Beach. Awesome. So if you're in uh, the Huntington Beach area, check out the Olive Pit. Pick, they're, they're not paid sponsors here at all. We're just trying to help local businesses. So Jake, um, can you tell us about establishing the FM Revolution hashtag and what that movement is all about? So it's really interesting because I, I will say that, I, and I want to give full credit to a group of uh, former residents at Santa Rosa Family Medicine in Northern California who really uh, gave birth to this idea of Family Medicine Revolution. And originally it was Family Medicine Revo T-Shirt Revolution. And uh, what they did was they created T-shirts that said pithy things like use your whole brain, become a family physician, um, you know, to kind of show some attitude because of this sort of undervaluing of what we do in family medicine and in primary care. As they were beginning to graduate, there was a little bit of a transition uh, in terms of, I guess, who was uh, helping to lead the movement, if you will. And right about that time was the Arab Spring where uh, revolutionaries uh, in the Arab world were uh, very clearly showing that they could use social media to mobilize. And hashtags were, were but a, uh, you know, not a very well-known thing for many of us. And, um, you know, why are they using the pound sign? Uh, is what I remember a lot of people saying at that time. And so we thought we would use, we'd use a, a hashtag. Uh, and, you know, I played around with a, a, a variety of different things. And this is the one that kind of stuck 
and kind of rolled off the tongue and seemed to catch fire, if you will, for, with uh, the family medicine community here in the States. What we quickly found out is that there is a very vibrant family medicine community throughout the world. Um, really, the idea behind it is it's a call to family physicians to, to own our story. We don't need to have leaders or other TV personalities kind of tell the story of family medicine. And, um, you know, it's fascinating because a couple of years ago, I did uh, go and speak at the World Congress of Family Doctors meeting in Seoul, Korea, which was you know both personal and professional accomplishment. And just fascinating to be able to speak on the main stage at that meeting to tell the history of family medicine medicine revolution. And, you know, uh, again, we're, we're on the on the front end of this movement, and I'm excited about what's ahead. Yes, I think it's a it continues to be a very bright future. And, and you've been in uh, leadership positions within the, you know, medicine and family medicine more particularly. Can you tell our audience about your health policy and advocacy efforts as president of the California Academy of Family Physicians, and the political action committees on which you serve? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, it's interesting because I think in general, uh, we as physicians and uh, even in medical school or in residency tend to think that, you know, I'm just a doctor. Um, I don't want to deal with any of that other stuff. That's the stuff that's left for politicians. And the truth is, there's a lot of things that we could be doing. And I think in, in many ways, this COVID-19 pandemic is showing how critical it is for physicians uh, and scientists to speak up and to tell the truth and point out areas where there are flat out lies uh, about, about what's uh, going on and, and to fight the misinformation. Uh, you know, I would say the year that I was CAFP president, which was in 2015, 2016, was kind of a culmination of a, a career's worth of building up towards this. And and it was, you know, an opportunity for me to visit as many chapters during that year to set um, and not only um, the opportunity to listen and to hear the stories of family physicians on the ground, but also to do some agenda setting for the for the future. Um, you know, some of the things that clearly came up during the year that I was president um, were uh, the disparity uh, that we, that's very obvious in rural areas. Uh, so during my visit to Humboldt County, that became very clear. I'm, I'm proud to say that uh, that community um, has just opened a residency program. Um, and uh, I'm stoked to, to see that they're moving in that direction because the truth is they were losing a lot of physicians to retirement, to death, to uh, people, young people leaving the area. Uh, really to build that pipeline, you have to have uh, residency programs that, that supply that work so in, a, in some ways, it was a natural uh, progression for me after uh, finishing up with the presidency to uh, assume my current position, which is as the political action committee chair. And my job effectively is to be a fundraiser and uh, to be a, a political fundraiser for candidates, irrespective of their party affiliation, who may have the greatest impact on family medicine's issues. And uh, I'd really like to stress that piece about irrespective of party affiliation, because Sometimes, um, in order to not be on the menu, we have to be at the table. And sometimes the best way to get to the table is through, um, you know, donations and uh, and an ability to have uh, sort of access uh, to decision makers so that we can help shape policy uh, for the future. 
That's great, Jay. And and I'm glad you used the term fighting misinformation, because that really is at the heart of what we're trying to do with this podcast is to give this credible source of information from experts like yourself and with the intention of fighting some of the misinformation that's floating around out there about COVID. And and then also just taking a broader view and educating people about health policy and public health and medicine and nursing. Um, I, I would love it if you could explain what the terms advocacy and health policy mean? Because we who've been in the business for a little while tend to throw those terms around and assume people know exactly what they mean. But from your own vantage point, what do those terms advocacy and health policy actually mean? So um, yeah, advocacy for me is really about using our our collective voices uh, to raise awareness about important issues. And you know, I'll tell you, one of, one of the reasons why I uh, joined Share Ourselves is that justice was one of its, it, it continues to be one of its value pillars as an organization. And, um, you know, it's this concept that we don't exist in a bubble and what we're delivering. Science, science, science. Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes. Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes! Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes... Yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast. You know, within the four walls of our clinic sites is is great, and it's awesome that we do those things. But there are going to be times when we need to speak up and and shed light on uh, the challenges that our patients and the communities that we serve uh, experience. And uh, you know, I think there's the sort of meta piece to this, which is the advocating for the specialty as being a solution for you know not only the health system at large. We're very concerned about ERs and intensive care units being filled up. You know, I can't tell you the volume of calls that we get. We're fielding every day to remind people to stay home and to let them know that the symptoms that they're experiencing at this time are mild and they don't need to be come in to be tested because um, we don't want them to come in if they if they can have milder symptoms. As far as health policy goes, it's leveraging that advocacy, taking that voice and focusing it on crafting language uh, on sort of problem solving uh, these issues that we find troublesome. So homelessness uh, would be a really good example. Food insecurity, uh, primary care workforce, primary care spend. These are all sort of topic areas for health policy, but the policy itself is the language that represents our proposed solutions for how we might go from point A to point B. Right. And this need for health policy and advocacy is likely to be an even more acute need as we get further into this pandemic. You, you mentioned homelessness and food insecurity. Those are two issues that are likely to exacerbate as people start to lose their jobs and the economy takes a hit. So it's really great that we have people out there, you know, taking up the mantle and really trying to look out for those who who need the help. What advice, Jay, would you have for someone interested in affecting health policy or getting involved in advocacy efforts? And I'm asking the question both in terms of physicians and healthcare workers who are already in the business, medical students and residents, 
students who are kind of on the precipice and kind of just general public who want to have a, a positive impact on, on the healthcare system and the communities where they live? What I'll do is I'll borrow and steal um, from uh, a talk that I'd heard a, a little while ago. Please do. In this talk, uh, basically, it was pointed out that you know everyone wants to change the world. You know, when you're when you're young and and you're idealistic, you want to go out and change the world. And I think sometimes we tend to think that the formula for that is showing up and then and then changing the world. And the truth is, it's much harder than that. And so, what I would say to folks is, I, there's a modified version of this. I think you you got to show up. You know, obviously, you can't do this behind a computer screen. Uh, you got to you got to be there in, in front of people and show them that you care. You got to know what matters to you um, because you know if you're showing up and it's someone else's thing that they care about but it but you don't own that you don't care about it then it's there's sort of a lack of authenticity or, or a genuineness that's there and I would say it doesn't have to be perfect just start somewhere uh, get involved in something um, and you know really for me it started out in medical school showing up for free free pizza you know at, at lunchtime <laughs> to learn about uh, you know X Y and Z club or whatever it was um, and then I think you really start to develop a message and own it. And then you realize that along the way, it's not just you, that there are other people. And you got to learn how to work with those folks because it's so much more powerful when uh, that message is shared by, you know, uh, uh, 10,000 other people. That, you know, that's what the California Academy of Family Physi Physicians does. Uh, you know, we have over 10,000 members. And then I think the hard part is taking it across the finish line, because I think, you know, you can go a mile wide and an inch deep. But really, in this day and age, I think it's really critical that especially if you're coming up is to take that thing that isn't perfect and go as far deep as you can, because it'll show that level of commitment and that level of panache and the stick to itness that is really required of you to, to do what what you ultimately set out to do, which is to change the world. That's really the only way that we could change the world is by going deep and kind of changing the fundamentals at the roots of whatever issue it is that we care about. Right. And, and you mentioned this idea of owning your message. And I think what I want to ask next is really directly related to that. And that is, how are you approaching advocacy during this COVID-19 pandemic? And within that, like, what is the message that, that you want to own? Yeah, for sure. So um, I, you know, I think a couple of broad things, and then I'll and then I'll speak specifically to issues that affect the communities that we're um, uh, servicing. So uh, first of all, I, I want to send a very clear message uh, to all of our elected officials that those of us that are on the front line in healthcare, we do not have enough COVID nineteen test kits. You know, I think there seems to be this feeling that there's an abundance of test kits, and the truth is that they're not. And because there's not enough, we do need to focus our, our limited supply on high-need uh, cases. Um, but if we got to a point where we could do more global testing, I certainly would be happy to do that. But we may have tip, we may have gone over that tipping point at this point with the level of the spread that we we see. Two is um, the, that PPE is an absolute requirement for, for healthcare workers on the front line. Um, you know, I, I, I would say cloth face masks are not going to cut it. Um, and I think there's there was actually a, a really recently published controlled trial that looked at this uh, specifically around, uh, you know, the new CDC recommendation that uh, in the absence of PPE, we could go to cloth masks. So uh, we absolutely need to be producing more of that. And then I would say the third thing is just we, we need to have ongoing funding for community health 
call centers, that actually hasn't been appropriated yet. And so we're, we're kind of kicking the can down the road. And so this is the time where we really need to be doing that. So those are the three general things that I would say um, we definitely need to be doing during this pandemic. Um, specifically to Orange County, um, I would say a couple of things. One is uh, the community health centers have largely been operating on, on an island, on individual islands. And um, each of us has, uh, you know, expertise and resources that we can bring to the table. And um, I was getting very flustered. You know, I've only been in the job, you know, uh, as of the end of last week, three weeks. And I was getting increasingly flustered, even in that short period of time that we were not talking to one another. So I did reach out to the Orange County uh, Coalition of Community Health Centers, and we convened a call last Friday, thanks thanks to their support. And we're beginning to have that dialogue about how to share resources, how to share best ideas, um, so that we're not feeling isolated during this time when we really need to be having solidarity across the county. Uh, especially, you know, as I mentioned, we're the sixth largest county in the United States, and we don't have a we don't have a county hospital. Uh, so we have to be very creative about how we uh, provide care to patients. And then the third, th the third thing is uh, that's very specific is that um, uh, we're the medical team that partners with a, uh, a shelter uh, for people experiencing homelessness here in Orange County. Uh, there are 200 clients of that agency, and um, I've been uh, very concerned about the, the close-in nature of the shelter because I think it will take one or two cases, and we will we will potentially have a public health disaster on our hands. And I've been trying to get the county's attention because ultimately they're responsible for the doling out of resources for that shelter. And I'm happy to say that as of last week, um, we did have some direct communication with the county. It's almost as if they finally woken up to the fact that this could be potentially a terrible travesty, uh, both health-wise as well as from just a human perspective, that um, they've been much more engaged now in the last uh, half a week. And my hope is that they we continue to partner with them because Again, my team on the ground was expressing that to me, and I went to go see the site myself, and I immediately felt the same concern that they had. And we were getting kind of crickets for a little bit from uh, leaders, and finally we had a breakthrough last week. So those are kind of the three big buckets that I would say uh, we've been advocating for here in Orange County. That's great. I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're get able to kind of broker some of that engagement with the county healthcare system and you're you're cl very clearly demonstrating your ability as an advocate. And within your answer there, I, I got a real sense of the idea of strength in numbers and working together on things. So I'd like to ask you, how can physicians, other healthcare workers, and the public work together to affect health policy in the face of this COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, so I'll um, uh, share uh, something that you and I have both heard, uh, you know, in our circles, which is, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. And so I'll repeat that again. If you're not at the table, you will be on the menu. And so this is not a time for people to be complacent. Um, I know that many of us are, um, for lack of a better way of putting it, hold up, you know, where, wherever we might be. Um, but uh, this is not a time to be complacent while we sit on our couches. Um, this is a time to be um, as vocal as possible about um, coming together as a community to, to do the right thing. Um, otherwise, you know, we're, we're going to continue to be under-resourced and even less fully prepared uh, for 
what I anticipate in these next several weeks, I know that we're speaking on on a Sunday, uh, you know, uh, uh, not too long after the the equinox. But um, my my feeling, and I think the projections show that we are going to be hit really hard here in the next two to four weeks. And so we need to stop thinking like in, individual individuals or individual organizations, and really begin to break down those silos and exercise what I would call meta leadership, leadership across organizations so that we can do the best for our communities and kind of get out of this idea that, you know, our budget is our budget. You know, let's really start to think uh, more broadly than that. That's great, Jay. Um, And finally, what advice would you give to other leaders in healthcare to have a maximally positive impact on public health efforts related to this COVID-19 issue that we're all dealing with? You know, I think there's the data piece, which is like, you know, I think many of us who are kind of science-based tend to go there uh, to try to get people to to listen. And the truth is, um, there's sort of this, I think someone had described it as a MIGO phenomenon, <laughs> my eyes glaze over uh, when, when, when you share, when you overshare data. Um, I think the data should be there to back up what we're sharing, which is ultimately the story, the human story of who we're touching, who we're helping, who we're, you know, pulling up from to achieve better health. And I think in particular, um, I, I think it's absolutely right to point out the fact that, you know, there are those who are already vulnerable to begin with, who are going to be even more impacted by um, this pandemic. And the truth is, some of our colleagues are going to get sick or die because of the coronavirus. And so, you know, it's it's a dangerous time. But, you know, the truth is, if, if all of us look back to why we got into this business to begin with, you know, we can look back to our personal statements. It's sort of what I would call our origin stories of how we decided to become healthcare superheroes, right? And in a lot of ways, we need to step up. We need to step up to become the leaders that our communities need us to be during this pandemic. And uh, no one's going to give you a title, um, but we've we've just got to step up and and be bigger than who we than who we might think we are. And, and together we can create that sort of movement that I think has really been missing, you know, probably since the era of first evolution of of managed care, where I think a lot of physicians kind of said, you know what, I'm a I'm not a business person, I'm a doctor. Let me just be a doctor. You know, it's the it's the old bones, right, from Star Trek. Damn it, Jim, I'm a doctor, not a dot dot dot. And you know, and and we don't have the luxury to do that right now. We we really need to be more than you know the two letters after our names. And I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for for each of us in each of our individual communities to do that, working with others, humbly working with others uh, who have expertise in other areas that we don't. And um, ultimately, that's how we're going to get through this all together. Jay, as usual, you've said that extremely eloquently, and and I appreciate hearing that from you. Um, Before we have to wrap up here, is there anything else that you wanted uh, to let our audience know or anything that I didn't ask as a question that you want to get out there? So it's interesting because I think this is clearly highlighted, I think, for myself and also for uh, many people who haven't been thinking about it. And I I hate to do this because it's kind of a little bit morbid, but I I do think it's really critical that you understand, that you develop an understanding of what your wishes might be should uh, you or one of your loved ones uh, not be able to communicate that. And, you know, 
a few years ago when the Physician Aid and Dying Act passed, I, that was the year that I was president. And I think people politicized, you know, quote unquote, physician suicide, right? Uh, physician Aid and Dying. And the truth is, if anything, it, it created a dialogue that I think is even more pertinent today, which is that we all should know what, what our wishes ultimately might be. And if that's a path to getting us to talk to one another during this this hard time, and it's a, it's an opportunity for radical candor, uh, you know, amongst our loved ones. I do think that no time is better than the present to be having those conversations, you know, in the event that something should go bad. Yes. And I think this is a, a particularly uh, important time to be having those conversations. But even outside of this pandemic, you bring up a good point that we really should be thinking about what our wishes should would be if we can't speak for ourselves and, and think about our advanced directives or living wills and have those conversations um, with, with our loved ones. We, we had a drive at work a few years ago where they were really trying to get everybody to do it. And it really just by going through the process and having that kind of almost being forced into that that conversation, it actually brings up, you know, with your spouse or your other loved ones, some really interesting um, opportunities to talk about what we would all want at end of life. And, you know, you bring up the more, you know, not wanting to be morbid. It's also just being realistic. We all have a certain number of years on this planet and just having um, that realization and, and you know, you know, being able to own what our last, you know, days and weeks and months might might be like, I think is vitally important. So thank you for bringing that up, Jay. For sure. Yeah. And if, and if anything, and having that conversation, I think there's also an opportunity to talk about how you want to live, because that's ultimately um, where we should all be thinking about is how do we want to live? Because our lives are all going to be fundamentally changed by what's in front of us right now. Right. And, and I've heard it stated as, you know, it's not about quantity of life, but quality of life. And if we're really thinking about that and, and wanting to know how we want to live, that, that, that's really kind of the definition of life. Absolutely. Jay, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy, hectic schedule at a new job and your family time on a weekend to join us. I think that speaks volumes about your passion for what you're doing and your dedication to your craft. So we truly appreciate it. You've done a real benefit to our audience. So I, I thank you and, and wish you a great rest of the bit of weekend that you have left. Thanks so much, Ted. It's great to reconnect with you. Really appreciate the opportunity. Likewise. Take care, okay? Okay, take care. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. Our producers are Madison Linden and Chris Brightigan. Our executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. If you have questions about COVID-19 that you'd like discussed on the podcast, send an email to info at arslanga.media. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice. Be vigilant but remain calm. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis.